0: Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Um, We have profiled a lot of interesting people on this show through the years. Um, We've gone into areas and topics and things that, you know, I find personally interesting. And I also think that it's important that um, we continually show how big the tent can be within the Orthodox community. Um, There are certain, I don't know, jobs or certain hobbies that may be may be more standard Um, and then there's also things that people are doing in terms of livelihood and interests that are less standard um, and they still have room within the spectrum of the orthodox community within the scope of halacha Um, and ultimately the bigger that we can make the tent of orthodox judaism the more i think people that are outside the community can feel like um they can have something connected to an orthodox jew if they feel distant or disconnected um, so too when we look at people raised orthodox who may feel uh, disenfranchised and not connected or not feeling like they have their place um, understanding that the box can be bigger than what they knew um, is also helpful because not everybody fits into the same box um, and it's wonderful that um, people are made differently and that you know the Jewish way of life allows for uh, differences. And so one thing that I would probably never do is become a farmer. That's something that um, is not, you know, my personal interest or cup of tea, but there are some people in the world that um, this is something that really speaks to them. It's, not so maybe we see it, um, you know, in Israel, you know, an Orthodox farmer, that's probably something more common, but um, there is this wonderful place called the Yiddish Farm. um, And today we have uh, the co-founder with us, Yisrael Bass, and he's gonna talk to us a little about what the Yiddish Farm is, how it came to be and what he does there. So thank you so much for joining us.
1: Hi, good morning.
0: Good morning. Um, So can you, I guess, tell us a Mm -hmm. little bit about, yeah, I can hear you now, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about um, how you grew up, what your Jewish background was growing up, where you grew up. Um,
1: sure. Yeah. I, um, my name is Cyril Bass. I grew up, uh, I was born in Queens. Um, my family moved out to Long Islands when I was probably like just about to go into kindergarten. I grew up in a non-Orthodox home, uh, conservative uh, home. My mother um, brought me to show and made sure I had, you know, somewhat of a Jewish uh, education. Um, my her father was a rabbi who went to uh, the Lama Yeshiva in Poland, and then he was the chief, one of the head rabbis in Havana during the war. And um, unfortunately, he wasn't able to bring his family over, and then he came to New York during the during the war, towards the end of the war. Her mother went through the Holocaust, um, and then my father's side was right here. My father's father, who I'm named after, I uh, was a Army Ranger. I um, helped liberate Europe um, and the camp. And um, I kind of grew up knowing this family history and um, wanting to connect a little bit more.
0: So, um, your background was not observant. If you take a look at the website for the Yiddish farm, uh, I can see that you have long pays now longer class dika take That's about the only Yiddish I know so far um, other than schlep and Schvitz. Um, So what was the journey of um, and also the fact that I guess if you work on a Yiddish farm, you must know Yiddish. So I'm a little bit jealous because I've been working with Hasidim for a few years now, and that's really like one of the cash ranges I've picked up. So what was the journey of going from, you know, not observant to Hasidic and a fluent Yiddish speaker?
1: Um. It was pretty long. <laughs> um, it wasn't, not so easy. Um, it started probably, um, probably when I was like seven or eight. Uh, my mother, um, we were we were actually told to bring in like World War II his family histories to school. I went to public school, um, and. He's, I don't know why exactly our class had to do it every other class in the school was learning about habitats and animals and for whatever reason our teacher wanted to go into world war ii i think her father was a soldier in the pacific theater um so that's when i learned my whole family both sides world war ii story um and one of the stories that my mother told me that had a huge effect on me was um when her mother and her sister and her aunts arrived at auschwitz with her, my her great her grandmother my mother's grandmother um, they were separated, and when they were they were separated on the line, uh, my great grandmother, uh, my mother's grandmother, uh, gave her gave to her daughters uh, one of her gloves and basically said, if you would, you know, if, if you survive the war, if you, that you should remain Jewish daughters. Um, so I started thinking about what that would what does that mean. Um, I was the youngest of basically all the all my cousins. Um, in in my family on both sides, and I kind of saw the trajectory even at a young age of you know Jewish engagement wasn't wasn't prioritized, um, so that that kind of started my thinking about it. And then you know the next step was probably my bar mitzvah. I remember going to to Queens to Main Street to get my uh, talus and, um, and Twillin I guess, and uh, and we uh, stopped in a bookstore. And while we were picking this stuff up, they uh, we saw a copy of like one of these Yiddish textbooks or something. So I said, oh, let me get this too. So that's when I started kind of looking into Yiddish. Um, and then it was a really long journey after that. I mean, slowly taking steps to keep kosher year-round. We kept kosher for Passover, but that was about it. Um, and, you know, slowly learning Yiddish and speaking it with my mother who speaks Yiddish. Um, mm. and, um, and kind of making it more... It's where, whereas it started more kind of looking back to my family's history, and then became more an active part of my identity um, until I basically left my parents' house.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, did you study in any programs at any point along the way? Like, was the Hasidic piece? Were you drawn to Hasidus because you were drawn to Yiddish, or like what was the order of that?
1: Um, yeah, I'd say that's that's probably um, kind of how how it got me there initially. Um, I was originally, um, what was I doing? I was originally reading a, a lot of like old socialist, you know, pamphlets and stuff that I was finding and well, as I was learning Yiddish and, and different, and a lot of these guys um, that were writing these pamphlets grew up in religious homes and, mm-hmm. and had, had this background. I was just, I was kind of like a little jealous too, because I was just like, they have a way of communicating in a, a worldview. That today's assimilated secular American Jew would never be able to have, because they had this foundation in Yiddishkeit, and even though they decided to leave it for whatever reason, you know, there's a lot of you can go into that. But um, um, I was kind of just like, wow, there's a lot here. Um, And then, but at the same time, I was on my slowly my path of observance, kind of you know keeping kosher. By the time I'm like 18 and um, playing around with keeping the Sabbath and um, trying to find more more guidance. Um, so I took a, I took a Yiddish class. I was actually my first formal Yiddish class. was mostly self taught, and me and my mother kind of just sitting down while I was in high school. And then when I was in college, I took my first formal Yiddish class at the Workman Circle uh, with a Holocaust survivor named Yaakov uh, Basman, who lives uh, outside of Los Angeles. And he was great. He's a great guy. I'm still in contact with him. And um, I learned a lot about the language there, but I decided that I couldn't stay in California um, because the scene the there for being able to speak English is very old. A lot of the people were on their way. Out. Mm-hmm. Didn't see so much of a, of a future there, but I felt very connected. So I ended up in New York um, and looking for different outlets to, to, um, to grow as a person. Um, and I found, um, some friends and then I found some more kind of fringy Hasidic places that I was hanging out in. And then eventually, um, yeah, I guess there's a lot in between, but eventually, uh, ended up on the farm and, uh, and then found myself next to the Jewish community being uh, curious Joel.
0: Oh, interesting. Got it. So did you ever go to yeshiva to, you know, do formal study or you've just been learning on your own all along?
1: Uh, mostly self-taught, um, mostly self-taught, and then I have some mentors and some and people I, I, I learned with.
0: And the Yiddish that you learned um, in the university, I have to imagine, is very different than the Yiddish that they're speaking today in Williamsburg and in um, Kiryas Yoo, because I took a couple semesters of college Yiddish, and it does not help me at all, or very little, um, speaking to modern-day Hasidim. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, no, there was definitely a big uh, learning curve from getting to the more technical Yiddishist uh, kind of YIVO that actually spoken. Um, mm-hmm. So of course, YIVO Yiddish was never actually <laughs> really spoken by a wide Correct. population of people. <laughs> um, but somehow they have a, they have a pretty tight grip on the uh, educational materials. Yes, they reason.
0: do. Yes, they do. Um, okay. So now take us to, um, so what did you study in college and were you always into agriculture? Like how did this, how did you end up on a farm? Like that's an unusual no, place to so, end
1: up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, again, it's, 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 kind of, it's a longer story and, um, uh, but, um, I studied, I was originally I was in California, and then I came back to finish the college in New York at City College, and I, I got a degree in philosophy. I was studying philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, I really didn't know what I wanted to be doing per se in college. Um, it was more just a family station. Um, and you know, looking back, it would have been better going to a, a technical school or something and getting a real skill. Um, but that's the you know I had to get a degree, and this is kind of what, what I what I was already kind of learning and studying. Um, I also got a, like, I did a I got a like a minor in Jewish studies, um, or maybe it was a dual major. I don't even remember. And um, so, um, yeah, what was the second?
0: Okay, oh, yeah, so the question is, how did you end up on a farm? How um, the, that farm,
1: the farm kind of came out of this desire, this kind of... Dis- yeah, so I, I ended up on a farm because I was already living... I was finding very quickly... I didn't quickly, I, I, I couldn't stand being in a city. Um, that, was, that was one aspect of it. Um, and I was getting involved in a lot of different um, groups in the city, and one of them was this... Um, group of young kind of Yiddish-speaking people, some of them secular, some of them modern orthodox, uh, kind of just a collective group of people. Um, And But I was frustrated because it was a very Yiddish-centric group. Um, Like, we'd come together on Shabbos and on Shulens and whatever, but but it was, you know, kind of just talking about Yiddish all the time in Yiddish. And I was just like, well, there must be some other reason to speak Yiddish than just talking about Yiddish in Yiddish, which a lot of, because there are people that are interested in Yiddish too, because they're so excited about Yiddish. Um, and that led me to a lot of research and thinking. And I ended up finding a, a history book um, inspiring to me called The History of the Freeland League in Jewish Tertum. And I spent a summer reading this, like 800 pages For people looking to resettle Jews um, outside of Europe, both before the war in the war and after the war and different than uh, the Zionist project insofar as they were not looking to create a new Jewish identity, but rather just get people out and kind of transplant whatever they were somewhere else that was safer. Um, And I read this book and it's inspiring just to see this kind of untold history. Of course, they lost. They weren't able to to get it together for a lot of reasons, both internal and external. Uh, They were really trying, and they were really trying to not just um, create a new, both people in your, somewhere else, and the religious custom somewhere else. Um, And I was just like, wow, that's amazing. Um, And one of the things that, Kind of attracted me to the farm was this idea of, you know, what can I do today? Obviously, there's no need for some kind of Yiddish-speaking uh, territory as there was during the, the crisis of the Holocaust. Um, but but that said, you know, what's what is possible today, and both community and a A a place um, where more than where something's happening. It just becomes a a means as opposed to an end to itself, which I was getting very frustrated about um, living in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. Um, So then I started working on farms. I had this idea and um, I needed to have some farming experience. and And it just so happened that I liked farming, it wasn't a given. I grew up. You know, my summers and growing up on Long Island, where I was, just, uh, was growing up in a sailing camp, and then I was a sailing instructor. So it wasn't I was kind of the opposite of land and <laughs> anything uh, like that, and uh, and going into farming farms, um, and for basically just two or two summers, I think, before getting an opportunity to um, farm. On my own, um, and and it was really great to be connected and to be busy. Um, it was fun employing Jewish workers and you know and just doing something that very few people are or very few people are doing in the states. I think the whole Franklin, I think, is the only guy that I know that's a uh, you know, observant and doing uh, full time farming.
0: And so. Um... Would you say that becoming a farmer is an unexpected career move? um, You know, so much of the Torah is agricultural. And obviously, you know, the holiday of Tu B'Shvat is upon us right now. How would you say um, your experience as a farmer, has it changed your connection to any of the texts or the sort of um, Jewish experience of ancient times as farmers? And then do you have any thoughts about, you know, Tu B'Shvat? Is that a holiday that you're more connected with?
1: Um, so it's, um, it definitely does, uh, I think, you know, so much of the agricultural laws have to do with being in Aetisro and, 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 and are mostly observed there. There are a couple of exceptions, um, one being Orla, uh, which we do observe here on the farm, uh, with our blueberry plants and, um, and Paya, they say peya is, um, is is more of a of a minute today <laughs> it's, Laura, it's it's kind of said you know but that's uh, really where it kind of stops in terms of that connection to actual you know and it's just in the Torah with regard to that but where for me where it's kind of Um, and necessary, <laughs> um, just this idea of working physical labor in general but also just you know being you know there's so much you know effort put into making a lot of the the, the prayers and the texts about like oh well this is just like an allegory for Farnosa I'm like you know the fields i like you know it's like no actually that fields, like it. no I'm actually not planning like no I'm actually not cutting but um right. uh, and this idea of like kind of just staying you know not really you know i, I make very clear also not to really go into the field sometimes even for a walk you know i guess you yeah, have to come up on shabbos um but try to just staying either to the main road or you know making sure because i, I know that if i go into the field mm-hmm. my mind's gonna start wandering um just you know just do that and then we we're, we're um super so smart comes to mind i mean it's more limited that we do have a, a blueberry patch that we've been working on expanding, I and mean, we have about 300 or, 40 or 350 um, blueberry plants um, that, if they double check the count, they might be coming out of this year, and um, planted them several years ago. Um, so we do have a connection to to trees. Um, there are some old apple trees on the farm, and pear trees, um, and that's kind of part of our you know, yearly cycle. You know, like when the apples already. ready, when the carrots are ready. Um, I don't have any appreciation for that, um, but uh, yeah, I, I, don't know, I don't know what else to say.
0: No, I think I think also that you said like sort of the toiling and the time that it takes to farm. I think in our. Um, You know, I just recently canceled Amazon Prime um, because Uh I'm so afraid of sort of the instantaneous way that our family is living. And I think that farming is the exact opposite. It's about like, the physical toil and the patience and the waiting and the having to daven for rain. We don't have to daven for the prime driver to show up. He just shows up. So I think, shows up, yeah. Yeah, I think it definitely, yeah, I think it definitely, I would say even besides the paya and the orla and, you know, the even the mitzvahs you can't do, I think sort of being so reliant on the rain and the good weather um, for your yeah. success, I think it brings a farmer back to you know, more of that, Obviously, everyone has to to pray for, you know, Parnassa and for their success in their job. But for you, it's so much more literal, it's so much closer to the actual prayers themselves. Um, yeah. In the last few minutes, can you take us through besides the apple trees and the blueberry patch? What else are you farming on your land? And then the second sure. piece is um, you have uh, visits, uh, vis- visitations. So if you could tell us a little bit about what a visitor can do if they come to the Yiddish farm.
1: Sure. So, yeah. Um... So I'm actually, right now I'm in the barn, I'm sifting uh, flour uh, for, for matzahs, which we're gonna be baking soon. Uh, we grow wheat and spelt, we've been doing that for basically as long as we've been here. Um, and we have a combine, we have tractors and all this other stuff to help harvest it. We just got a new stone mill. Um, so we're done, we're done milling, thank God, and we'll be um, in the matzah bakery soon enough. And that's a big, big, big connection to, to tradition and to the land that we have here. Um, Kesach was a, like I said, in the, my personal history, a big um kind of introduction to Yiddish guide for me as a child. Um, uh, mm-hmm. and, and and just know you know that gave me a foundation for what Kashas is and everything like that. And it was um a very important holiday for my grandfather, um, so. That's huge, Um, and it kind of connects us year after year because it's a year round process, so we're we're tilling in August, we're planting September, October, Um, sitting over the winter, we're taking care, you know, we're fertilizing it in the spring. We're cutting it in, in July, and then back in the middle of the winter again, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're, we're doing all the milling and sifting and baking, and um, it just never ends. Um, so mm-hmm. when I'm plowing the fields, I'm plowing the fields for two Passover's from one, <laughs> for, <laughs> for mm-hmm. <laughs> from, from that, that time. Um, so we sell our Passover, we sell our online at organicpessover.com or on our, our website uh, uh, slash shop. Um, and then in terms of tours, we've been doing tours up since 2012. Um, we get a lot of schools, um, hundreds of kids come at a time, um, mostly from the Hasidic community, but we, we, we do get from every community. It just so happens that the Hasidic community is the closest, it's very mm-hmm. it's fun for them to have a Yiddish-speaking uh, tour. <laughs> uh, but mm-hmm. I do speak English, so we mm-hmm. do do English tours as well. Um, and basically, it uh, revolves around two different harvests, um, either the, the grain harvest or the uh, potato harvest. Um, so, so, depending if the group is able to come towards the beginning of the summer or towards the end of the summer, we have the hay wagon ride that's included. Um, we demonstrate the the how the combine machine harvested. Uh, what makes it organic? Um, and, and then for the potato harvest which is towards the end of the summer it's usually just for, you know, depending on the camp schedules or the school schedules who was able to come when. Um, we we have organic potatoes that usually for younger kids um, kind of teach them the basics of how things grow and that things don't come from the grocery. And, you know, it's like digging for treasure, watching these kids go through the, the dirt to, to pick up potatoes and bring them home to put them in their children and their kugel uh, for Shabbos.
0: That's very cool. Um, and, uh, you said you have, you know, the Hasidim are coming to visit, but you also seem to have a little bit of a, like a non-Orthodox following as well. You have a grant from, um, a federation so there must be some buy-in or interest from the non-orthodox community as well
1: um my my understanding is that it's not from a federation it's it's, it's a fund okay. i think that's uh, that's authorized through a federation or whatever but Got it's it. actually a, um, a a family foundation um, and and they're they're an amazing organization it's called the, the Opaline fund they've been funding us for years and we were really appreciated. Their support. They actually sponsored um, uh, a mikvah for the farm uh, that oh, wow. we're currently um, <coughs> currently working on. Um, so it's we're really, really excited about that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, in the past we've done. Um, we had to be in the past. We had had more funding for Yiddish classes. We did Yiddish immersion classes, and that's um, that's something we had done in the past. That we're kind of moving away from that just because a lot of the funding just dried up for it, and it was very mm-hmm. expensive.
0: So how big is your staff? Like how many people are, you know, making your matza from start to finish and planting your potatoes and you know, handling your tours? How how many people are involved in this?
1: Um so it depends again on the time of year. Mm-hmm. Um excuse me, I just want to grab a drink of water. Bear with me one sec. Um, Okay, I'm back Um, The um, Yeah, the staff I mean, it depends on time I I do most of the milling and the sifting Um, The bakery, we rent out a bakery There's probably about 30 guys there Working on the matzahs and helping packing And um, getting that all set up And then on the farm in the summer We usually have between Two and three staff members um, Depending on the year um, Helping with the tours and helping with the planting um my family my kids help out a lot um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, and yeah that's really uh,
0: And where um, are you near you said you're near Kiryas Joel so do your kids go to school there do you homeschool like what what Jewish community like where do you daven
1: Yeah so um so it's <laughs> a good question um, we're not Satmar um so it's Kessel although I do go there to daven a good amount um it's not uh, our home based community O'Shkaban. although we, we have a lot of uh friends there and connections there, and, um, and and that's amazing. Um, for the holiday, you know, this year has been so crazy because of uh because of COVID. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we've been trying to be careful. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I mean, in a normal year, um, for the um we're in Borough Park uh, by the mm-hmm. um He's an amazing guy. I've been connected to for about ten years now, and um, and. Then just like normal Shabbosim, in the summer, you know, not this year, but the year before, we had many basically every every Shabbos. Uh, we have some bungalows here that people come and stay in. Got it. Um, and then in the winter, we go, you know, we rent Shabbos apartments and we rent, you know, or, or we'll rent like a month-to-month apartment, um, usually a month. Yeah. My kids are in school in Muncie. Got it. And um, yeah, that's what we do. And, and is there
0: is there a particular Hasidus that you uh, kind of connect to or you've become part of?
1: Um, so I'm, I'm I'm most connected to this um, to this Jerqa group. Um, he was uh, the, the the Rebbe's uh, was the Talmud of Mashlag um, uh, Ashlag in uh, in Israel, and um, and then came here uh, with his family to live. Uh, and, um, I've been going to him since before I was married, and uh, really amazing. Amazing rabbi, amazing family, and also just a great group of people that have them there. So I try to get there as often as I can.
0: Very cool. For our listeners, um, how do they find you online? And when is the next time they could come for a Yiddish Farm visit?
1: Sure. Um, So online, uh, we're just uh, revamping our website at yiddishfarm.org. And that also has our store for our matzahs um, and some information about visiting. um, And our address and everything is all there. Um, Instagram it's at Yiddish underscore farm um, and I'm also on Twitter slash Yiddish farm um, so all those places you can find us and then really we start with um, the, the, the farm kind of comes back to life uh, soon after uh, Pesach um, usually we're, we can kind of <laughs> breathe after all the, the crazy matzah shipping and all that stuff that's going on um, and then uh, usually after Pesach we're, we're open for tours.
0: And just final quick question. How many boxes of matzah are you shipping on an average year?
1: Uh, we average around a thousand pounds. Wow. It depends on the year. Um, wow. But uh, that's, that's yeah, thank God. Right.
0: Very nice. All right, well, uh, fascinating story. Definitely uh, not the typical story, but it's. I love that, you know, there's different possibilities out there if someone's passion takes them to a farm and to speaking Yiddish. I love that there's a way to do that. So thank you so yes. much for sharing. Yeah, for, for sharing your story. <laughs> um, and uh, Yisrael Best, uh, we wish you much. H- Hatzlacha.
1: Okay, thank you so much.
0: And thank you for listening. You can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye. Uh-